Welcome to a new instalment of the Pharma Forum podcast. This week, I speak with Chris Bamford, Director of Clinical Trial Regulatory Management at IQVIA, and with him, Shirley Rutter, Associate Director and Strategic Quality Lead of Global Quality Management at IQVIA Biotech. Our conversation circulates around the implications of the upcoming deadline for transition to EU Clinical Trials Regulation, or EUCTR, as of the 30th of January 2025, including the Clinical Trials Information System, CTIS, also. An unprecedented period of rapid change, it has been quite a process, notably as a considerable administrative disruption of ongoing management of trials. The overall aim of a unified and harmonious clinical trials framework across EU member states is a crucial one. From agility to alignment, from a rethinking of the planning process and collaboration across internal stakeholders to a potential future convergence of thought. I hope the discussion sheds some light on EU CTR and how industry is navigating the transition, as well as positing considerations for tomorrow. What's clear is that patience, that eternal virtue, is critical moving forwards. As ever. Thank you for listening. This is web editor Nicole Raleigh, and I have with me Chris Bamford, Director of Clinical Trial Regulatory Management at IQVIA, and with him Shirley Rutter, Associate Director and Strategic Quality Lead of Global Quality Management at IQVIA Biotech. Welcome both. Hello. Hi, Nicole. Very Hi, nice Nicole. to be So today we'll be discussing EU Clinical Trials Regulation, or EU CTR, and the ins and outs of what sponsors need to know as 2025 looms not too far away now. But before we begin, perhaps you both could tell listeners a little bit more about yourselves and your personal journeys to where you are now in your work with IQVIA, the interests and the passions that have led you to this point. Thanks, Nicole. So I'll lead off. Thank you so much for the invitation. Nice to be here. So, yeah, I'm Chris Bamford. I initially, so my journey began as a, a scientist. I did a PhD in molecular oncology and, and, and was involved in academic research, but really found that a little bit esoteric and wanted to get into some more, more practical making of a difference and clinical trials. It's just really exciting being at the forefront where drugs have been developed access of patients to new medications. And so I linked together my science background, looking at roles, regulatory affairs was was where I wanted to get into. So that's where I am. Um, 15 years ago, I, I joined IQVIA in, in a, a regulatory role. Um, it, obviously, Quintiles at the time wanted to get into seeing a broad range of products, therapeutic areas, uh, advancements, biological drugs, advanced therapies, all of those come through our hands here. And that's that's really what drove me to into this role. And then I found myself 10 years ago um, tasked to prepare us for this new regulation, which was um, published 2014. And it's taken it's taken eight or nine years to get it into place. And during, during that time, I've been involved in stakeholder groups with the European Medicines Agency and helping to prepare, helping them to prepare their systems and helping uh, within IQVIA to prepare our our systems and processes for the changes so trying to make a difference in in that way 
and yeah, at the forefront of changes in the in the field of forefront of medication. So that's really hopefully gives you a bit of background and and indicates where my kind of drive and passion comes from to for being involved here. Shirley, um, over to you. Thank you. Uh, and uh, thank you, Nicole, for uh, making me a part of this uh, podcast. Um, so I'm Shirley Rattel. I'm based in IQVIA, India. I have around 24 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, managing global projects across all different phases of clinical development. Uh, I'm responsible for leading strategic initiatives uh, such as UCTR implementation, process improvement, strategic communication, establishing quality management systems, and uh, preparing the team for various regulatory inspections. Um, So in my role, uh, I'm spearheading the UCTR implementation for global IQVIA biotech, and I'm responsible for developing strategic communications, change management across biotech. Uh, It also includes uh, developing training plan and content for internal teams as well as customers, strategizing with the leadership uh, for risk analysis and mitigation and impact analysis of UCTR on the biotech processes. Uh, Being from quality management, uh, each day is different uh, with new learnings, challenges, and that's what drives me to work. Uh, I'm quite passionate about quality and building leaner processes to improve efficiency. And that's how I got uh, involved into the UCTR implementation. I've also been an advocate of change management and been a quality consultant and trainer for sites and various departments within the organization. So by education, I'm a master of philosophy in microbiology and environmental biotechnology. And I'm also an ISO 9001 certified lead auditor. Um, So that's about me. Thank you. Thank you, Shirley. And thank you, Chris. So from the forefront of change in medications and each day bringing new learnings and challenges, let us turn now to Regulation EU number 536 forward slash 2014, which ensures a greater level of harmonisation of the rules for conducting clinical trials throughout the EU. This regulation introduces an authorization procedure based on a single submission via a single EU portal, an assessment procedure leading to a single decision, rules on the protection of subjects and informed consent and transparency requirements. It is intended as well to make it easier for pharmaceutical companies and non-commercial sponsors to conduct multinational clinical trials, which should increase the number of studies conducted within the EU. So from a broad perspective, could one or both of you provide comment on why lawmakers in the European Union introduced and implemented this regulation? So Nicole, I can I can take that one. Because I was so I was at IQVIA for five years before this was published, and experiencing what the situation was like before, and the regulation uh, environment before that, even it was clear. It's been clear that clinical trials within the EU have, have had a a mixed a mixed history of of positivity, and and partly, uh, and it's not just in pharmaceuticals, but across the EU. The variability of requirements creates problems for industries that want to perform activities across the whole of the region. Before 2004, every country in the EU had a totally different regulatory environment for clinical trial management. So if you wanted to conduct a trial in two EU countries, you had very different approaches Mm -hmm. to getting that trial approved and started. 
the EU Clinical Trial Directive came into effect in 2006. And that overlaid a harmonised framework, but it didn't reach the level of consistency that a, a sponsor might face in trying to do a trial in the US, where they have access to 300 million plus participants with one procedure and one application and one approval. The EU is a larger population, but you still have 30 different regimes to get your trial approved in to access 400 million uh, patient population. So the EU lawmakers recognised this, this lack of harmonisation and the challenges that creates for an organisation wanting to manage a clinical trial across multiple EU countries and wrote the regulation that was released in 2014, this EU CTR, with that in mind, a single set of document requirements and information to start a trial in every EU country and a single procedure with a single set of timelines, that can be much more, that's much more attractive to a sponsor who wants to take a trial into the EU and think, right, I can follow one set of rules and access the whole region. So that is intended to mitigate some of the drift away as other, other regions of the countries have become advanced in, in their ability at clinical trial sites to perform trials. Obviously, countries in Eastern Europe grew dramatically through the 90s and the, uh, earlier this century. Um, now, Sub-Saharan Africa regions, Latin America grew dramatically. These are all highly competitive um, to the EU, and the EU needs to needs to evolve and stay ahead. And this harmonization is part of that effort. So it, in short, this regulation is intended to arrest a decline in EU clinical trial activities that's been gradual over the past 20 years. Thank you, Chris. Shirley, did you want to add anything to that? No, Nicole, I think Chris has covered everything. Thank you. So harmonization then, attractiveness for sponsors. The EU CTR in this vein came into effect on the 31st of January 2022, and sponsors must transition ongoing trials to EU CTR by the 30th of January 2025. Now, we're in 2024, as we all know now, so preparing for the EU CTR, it requires wide-ranging cross-company initiatives, surely. So what are some of the key changes, and how are these updates impacting clinical trial sponsors and clinical research organisations as they conduct trials in the region? I'll start again and then Shirley can speak to some of her, uh, her expertise in relation to working with smaller, uh, the smaller clients by technology companies. Um, and, and you touched on in, in the intro, uh, Nicole, some of the, the changes relating to the single submission and um, before EU CTR, there were very separate procedures for submitting to a government agency and submitting to an ethics committee. And both approvals would be needed and two separate submissions with two different sets of documents would be submitted. Now there's a single, a single submission through a central portal across the whole of the EU. So organisations like ours have had to adapt our approaches, which were well established, obviously honed to be done as efficiently and as rapidly as possible, Re rethinking that, that setup and procedure for a single submission across 30 countries rather than 
splitting the submission, having different levels of expertise in different regions for different countries. And really that kind of reset has been quite significant for a lot of organizations involved in um, managing clinical trials. On top of that, the increased transparency that I think you touched on leads to a lot more publication of a lot more information relating to clinical trials. And there's been a lot of publicity in the past 10 years about clinical trial information uh, and what value can be brought from making more of that available to patients, to other researchers. And the EU has taken a big step in publishing more clinical trial related information like the design of the trials, um, how the drug is being used in the trials that can help other investigators to plan re research, but most importantly, to understand the patients who get the drug at the end, how was that drug developed and, and what were the steps that, that went into that? So mm. that, that's a massive change for, for sponsors, that degree of transparency, because previously we did not need to manage that. So now different, different expertise is needed. Can we reveal that information? What's positive for us to release? It's whole new areas within organisations that have needed to be built. So there seems to be a positivity there. Shirley, did you want to add anything here? Uh, yes, Nicole. Um, so from uh, the biotech perspective, you know, having expertise available has been very critical, uh, particularly uh, challenging for smaller organization uh, and having access to specific information like, you know, the options for submissions and how best to navigate the submission requirement options, transparency, all of this has been challenging. So um, all the more as a CRO, it has been important for us to have, you know, develop those um, uh, subject matter expertise and then work closely with the biotech companies specifically because they don't have you know a team who can help them with the submissions or they don't have dedicated staff to really look at those changes and get informed about the changes and then work on the uh, key updates to the regulation uh, so this has been a key for us for biotech customers thank you so is there you touched upon this chris is there sufficient guidance and detail provided by the European Medicines Agency on the EU CTR and how to optimise application submission and resolve issues. Perhaps you could um, include here the steps taken by Acubia. Yes, well, I was blessed to be involved early in the EMA efforts to engage stakeholders in, in 2014 because we had pre-existing relationships. Um, and a huge amount of guidance has been released, not just by the European Medicines Agency, which has been responsible for creating the system that manages the centralised submissions. A huge battery of training, guidance. There are still monthly drop-in calls online, webinars that can be joined, question. They, they are open to questions that they can be dropped into these calls. The EMA has been incredibly engaged as have the individual agencies, because each EU member state also has its own competent authority for clinical trials, which assesses the trials. And they have also been really engaged. And it's almost been difficult. What we found working with, with sponsors, it's been difficult for sponsors to stay abreast of the rapid evolution of that guidance. Things have settled down. You mentioned that the regulation came into effect last year. So we've had um, in 2022, sorry, we've had two years now of the regulation and some of the, the guidelines have settled down. 
but it's still been important for us to have somebody like me, Shirley, to help our organization to, to filter that information and cascade it. And that's been critical for, for the organizations we've been working with, sponsors and our customers, that they have those subject matter experts who can filter, cascade, recognize and support the teams because within this area of clinical trial regulation, such rapid change is unprecedented. It's been two years and the previous eight like no other. So yes, enough guidance, maybe too much. Maybe too much. It sounds pretty well structured. So I want to turn now to the CTIS. So articles 80 and 81 of the regulation assigned EMA the task of creating an EU portal and database. The portal, named Clinical Trials Information System, i.e. the CTIS, was launched on 31st January 2022, starting the clock for this three-year transition period for all sponsors of clinical trials with a deadline of, as we've said, January 2025. In short, the CTIS is soon to be the backbone, if you will, of the new regime for clinical trials in Europe. So how are pharmaceutical and biotech companies preparing to transition currently active trials into the CTIS portal? And is the updated application process impacting global trials in any way? Perhaps you can answer this one, Shirley. So maybe I'll, I'll defer the question to Chris, you know, to start with, and then I can add in for the biotech companies. I can start then with, yeah, is, is it impacting ongoing trials? Um, yes, it's this requirement to transition all ongoing trials that are being managed. They're ongoing now. Patients are being treated. They're being managed under the previous regime, the EU Clinical Trial Directive. And in effect, this has introduced an administrative procedure into the middle of a trial that was not not anticipated, not planned. So it does interfere with what plans sponsors of clinical trials have had, and managing their trials has been disrupted by that. We have a three-year transition period, and the, the numbers coming out of the EMA are, are showing us that although we're two years through that, 66%, only around 20% of trials have transitioned. So it's obviously creating challenges. And it, I'm sure it will happen. It just really needs a big ramp up this year. It's going to be a big focus for those of us involved in clinical trials. And surely, I'm sure there are specific issues that smaller companies that don't maybe have the infrastructure are facing with that disruption too. Yeah, that's right, uh, Chris. Um, so, Nicole, basically, uh, like, you know, uh, for uh, any trials that are going to continue beyond January 2025, uh, these trials need to uh, transition to EUCTR. Um, so, specifically for the biotech companies, this is becoming a major focus for us uh, to have those discussions with the customers for the next six months. Um, and as Chris mentioned, you know, there have been relatively less number of studies that have transitioned to EUCTR. And we, we are already at the beginning of the third year transition window. Uh, but what we have realized, you know, through those discussions with the uh, customers, with our internal teams, that if your preparation is really thorough and if there is constant and open collaboration with each uh, functional stakeholder internally, especially the regulatory and the startup team and the sponsor, the, the transition process does become a little bit smoother and quicker. Um, so we are uh, trying to aim, you know, uh, and have those discussions with the customers so that uh, we can, uh, you know, help them to transition the uh, studies, you know, quicker. 
Thank you. So can we delve a little deeper now into some of the more intricate nuances, if you will, for trial sponsors to consider and navigate with respect to the EU CTR as it currently stands. For example, there's the 12-day request for more information timeline, the CTIS portal, as we've been discussing, and country-by-country communications and translations to navigate. So included in this uh, deeper dive, what are some of the ways that sponsors can better navigate the changes as the systems and requirements continue to evolve? I, I can start again. Um, start again here. I mean, I think, yeah, you touched on some of the key challenges that we've had to work with with customers on. And the 12, because there's a harmonised approach now, so every country has the same timelines, whether you, irrespective of where you've submitted, when you get questions on a clinical trial application, you have 12 calendar days to respond. And that's good in that it, it ensures we know what the timelines are whether we're submitting in Lithuania or Spain or Portugal, but 12 calendar days is not a long time to rewrite a complex document like a clinical trial protocol. Mm. So we've had to work with sponsors to put in place ahead of that a plan. What will we do? Scenario planning. What will we do if we get this question, these questions? Who are the contacts? And because the, the timelines are fixed, we can anticipate when those questions will arise. And for example, we don't want to submit two months before Thanksgiving because that might be really difficult for a sponsor whose mm. protocol writing expert is in the US. So those types of that type of planning needs to be much more well defined than it was in the past, where we would try to just be agile. We would have flexibility. All the countries are happening at the same time. That agility needs to be replaced or supplemented with planning. And I think that's a common theme through a lot of this is. It's forced us to do a lot more upfront planning rather than rely on the agility and flexibility that, that we have. Those things still remain, but planning needs to underpin it all. So I think that that probably covers a few of few of these topics. But, but Shirley, did you want to delve into any of those? Yes. Uh, so, um, Nicole, as you know, um while some of the established pharmaceutical companies, they already have dedicated in-house teams to nav navigate, you know, they integrate nuances and uh, details of the CTS submission process. Uh, smaller companies may really need to lean on expertise from either an external partner or the CRO to uh, ensure that they are on the right track for submission uh, planning un under the EU CTR. And also what we have realized is, you know, a slight error in the process. They can lead to various risks and challenges for sponsors. Um, so these errors can cause, you know, significant delays in the approval process uh, and uh, the sponsors may have to restart the application submission. So it's very important that we are all aligned uh, to the EU CTR requirements and we educate the sponsors accordingly. Thank you both. So coming to the fore here is the crucial part of planning, uh, in-depth practical considerations, agility, alignment. So these uh, areas of expertise at the side, what should trial sponsors anticipate now for future trials in the EU as it relates to what we've been discussing, the EU CTR, what's on the horizon? I think a, a key thing is the, the, the CTIS that we've touched on a few times that this clinical trial information system that the EMA developed and implemented, released in January 2022. This system has required enhancement. It, it was not perfect when it first came out, 
And I think we're going to see continued evolution of that system. In the first year that we were working in it with sponsors, virtually every clinical trial had problems in the system. The EMA have worked very hard on it, and it is a much better system now, but it will continue to improve. And once it reaches the point of uh, performance that the industry is expected, then enhancing that, building in interfaces with well-known sponsor systems, I can see that that's a future aim of, of the EMA. Um, so within the EU, I can see that the technology side is going to continue to evolve. I think outside the EU, potentially we will see some convergence. We see some countries already um, converging on in terms of information relating to the manufacture of drugs that countries like Ukraine, Turkey, the authorities are following the lead of where the EU has gone. The UK was uh, involved at the time this regulation was written. The UK was part of the EU and the EU um, subject matter experts contributed to the regulation and uh, its implementation. So the UK has got a, now got a system that parallels with a single submission for both reg and ethics, and potentially other countries will look at that as an approach too. So I think looking for those opportunities for convergence, I think is something for us to keep an eye on. But pay, I think whatever we see will take time. It's taken time to get where we are now. And I think patience is important. We've not seen significant impacts on, on the timelines that the trials are getting started in. But there is a lot of noise about how this regulation isn't good, how it doesn't help. I think that's it's important that that we focus on actually looking at data and seeing whether it is impacting. And I'm not convinced at the moment that, that there is significant impact based on what what we're seeing. And I think having that that optimism, patience, engaging with the authorities, I think that's going to be that's going to be critical for organisations moving forwards. Thank you, Chris. Did you want to add anything, Shirley? Yes. Um, so I think continual change also means that sponsors and CROs will need to consistently focus on maintaining and growing their expertise uh, while also staying agile uh, and uh, also making sure that, you know, everything is as seamless as possible. Um, so learning, uh, leaning on to the EMA resources will also be very critical, especially as it makes changes and it shares updated guidance. So this is also going to be the key going forward. Thank you both. So a harmonised approach with optimism, agility and crucially, patience. It's been mm -hmm. a pleasure. Thank you, Nicole. Definitely. Really nice to be here. Thank you. Ending. And so that concludes another episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find out more information about this episode, including a download link and information about previous instalments of the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcasts. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website itself, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and follow us on Twitter, or X nowadays, at at PharmaForum. That's all for now. Thank you for listening.